This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, welcome back, Ron. Hey, thank you. Yeah, we missed you last week. Uh, Goose tells me you had some hockey to coach, but I started to think that maybe, you know, just maybe... You ditched us for the Oscars. So what was it? Nope, I was on the ice because I was uh, I was on ice because I was on the ice with the Neshoba Grizzlies Pee Wee Hockey Team as we rolled on. Rolled wow. on a big tournament last week, and uh, now we're gearing up for the playoffs. And your wife tells me you're always on ice, Ron. Uh, <laughs> She'd like to put you, me on permanent ice. That's for sure. How'd you guys do? Did you win? I mean, did you win most of the games? All the games? Yeah. We uh, well, we played eight games in nine days. We ended up four, one, wow. and three. We got to the tournament final. Uh, played a team that we had tied one one in the first game. We lost two to one. You know, hockey luck. What are you going to do? Right. And we came back strong in the weekend and uh, and uh, won a couple. So if we uh, if we went out our last two games, we'll win the regular season and. See how we do in the playoffs. So, pretty cool. Looking for you on pay-per-view, Ron. That's right. <laughs> hey, Goose, man, I mentioned the Oscars. Uh, you watch them? Yeah, I watched the last hour when they're handing out all the key hardware. Wow. Well, <laughs> smart move. Like an well, NBA you know game. Just watch the last yeah, five I minutes. Just, yeah. I, I didn't see our videos from the Super Bowl get any love from the Academy. Was there any key hardware for us there, or did I miss something? <laughs> no, the Academy has an aversion to guys wearing hats. <laughs> Big mistake by them. Yeah, well, that's a shame because, as Ron will tell you, two men in hats and one with a clue was worthy of some kind of award. I'm not sure what it was, Ron, but it was, uh, as is today's show. But we'll have to wait until we finish to find out just what that award is. We have former Cowboy star Daryl Moose Johnson, Johnston now with us. Uh, he's with the AAF, along with Hall of Fame voter Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on what's up with the Steelers and our pre-combine 40 drill. And, of course, we'll give you our take on the Robert Kraft saga with Ron weighing in heavily on the subject. And, Ron, this juncture, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure what your Patriots like more. Getting involved in Super Bowls or controversy, they're, they're pretty good at both. Uh, they are. Spygate, Deflategate, Gangsta in the Huddle, PD Suspensions, now Inflategate. <laughs> Sounds like the Patriot way has a few too many twists and turns. Did, did you say Inflategate? I did. Inflategate it is. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to... We'll touch on that, not touch on inflate, but inflate gate, and more in the next two hours. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, before we get to Ron's favorite owner, uh, I want to touch on something I saw last week. It was a column on Pro Football Talk on its website uh, with Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio, uh, the host and I think um, originator of it, asking if the Pro Football Hall of Fame should drop the five-year waiting period for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Um, it wasn't a joke. He was serious, and Ron, um, I know you you might expect something like that from me, but no, um, I'm not about to take that Robert Ursay off-ramp to nonsense, uh, at least not yet. Um, but this strikes me as, um, I don't know, how do I put it as sort of ridiculous or frivolous self-service? Stupid would work. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we, we don't change the process for Jim Brown, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, John Yanis, right? right? But we do for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And why? 
because they won a lot of games and a lot of Super Bowls? I mean, I'm not sure how to respond other than say, uh, next, let's move on. Look, uh, to me, this is more about trying to get uh, people to notice you and click on your website than it is any sort of rational well, we're- thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are talking about it. You know, it's also to me a sign of the times. You know, nobody can wait for anything anymore. Uh, you know, we don't learn from history. We don't follow past precedent. We don't think if we can avoid thinking, and we don't know when someone is conning us to try to lift up their own profile. Uh, which is why we, uh, you know, force feed this phony first ballot Hall of Famers thing into uh, stuffing eight guys uh, in in the last three years as first ballot Hall of Famers, which is roughly, according to my calculations. Uh, nearly one-tenth of the total number of it we ever put in. Why? Because we're a society of people now for whom having to wait in line is perceived as a slight. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and now we're talking about uh, uh, this guy, so he won, and uh, hopefully Brady and Belichick will not wait in line. Yeah, I agree with Ron. We've reached a point where first ballot is no longer enough. We're in such a rush to enshrine these guys. Now we need to waive the five-year waiting period. Right. right. Do yeah, we go from first ballot to no ballot. Right. Yeah, and it goes, plus it, it's so subjective. I mean, who gets to decide when to waive a rule and who gets to have that rule waived and how is it waived? I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I, like you guys said, I think this one gets shipped to the uh, island of lost ideas. Yeah, there's a board of directors in Canton that makes decisions for the hall, and they are slow to move on anything, and I don't believe Mike Florio is on that board. Okay, well, we're not slow to move on. We are moving on right now uh, to the land where fact is stranger than this fiction. And surprise, surprise, Ron. It's still yeah. Foxborough, Mass. <laughs> As most people know, uh, Patriots owner Robert Kraft was accused last week of soliciting prostitution in the state of Florida. Now, uh, been, let's in, for been the in Nevada, he would have been just fine. Yeah, he would have been just <laughs> fine. That's right. The chicken ranch. <laughs> but um, let's forget for the moment that this is a billionaire who's uber conscious about his legacy. And, and he has done dozens of good deeds uh, off the football field. But he's now known as an owner who, with one act of incredible, you mentioned earlier, stupidity, has linked his name not only with Super Bowl rings, but prostitution rings, and who tarnished not only his reputation, but that legacy he was so carefully trying to construct. And the question, Ron, I'll pose to you is this. Um, um, Robert Kraft has been pushed for the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a contributor. We all know that. Goose and I are on the subcommittee, and we hear about it every summer. So if, in fact, the charges are true and he either pleads guilty or is found guilty or whatever, what, if anything, do you believe this does to his Hall of Fame chances? Well, uh, you know, first off, just to uh, correct the record, as they say, it was two acts of incredible stupidity, not one, since he went back, uh, you know, yeah, uh, he was not a first-time caller. <laughs> now I'm a second-time <laughs> caller. You know, uh, uh, you know as, the, as for the Hall, it'll be interesting. I mean, you two guys are on that committee. I'm not, uh, but I assume the same rules apply, uh, that in theory we only consider actions that affected the game. Having said that, if you get suspended and you can't run your team, I would think that that's a, uh, a pretty serious uh, blow to your team, and certainly in theory. Uh, they also uh, will now become a team that has received not two of the biggest fines in NFL issue, but three. So I would think that your committee could probably find someone on uh, your short list uh at least as deserving without the baggage. So I would think put the brakes on for a while. And, and Ron, you're right. It it would be a serious blow, except for this. Eddie DeBarlow had the team taken away from him. He did. Yeah, that's when Denise DeBarlow-York got involved. And then he, in fact, sold the team later. But Eddie was the first owner we put into the hall. And, and Goose, the uh, I, I think the argument is going to be, again, like with Eddie, 
uh, like Ron mentioned, it, it, this has nothing to do with he and his football team achieved on the field. And that's always the source of debate, isn't it? Because if you read the Hall's bylaws, they make it clear that voting on candidates is restricted, as Ron mentioned, to the field, the locker room, the stadium, whatever, and nothing else. Well, except that the NFL commissioner has, has the authority to punish players, coaches, and owners for, quote, conduct detrimental to the integrity of or public confidence in the game of football. Now, if Goodell finds and or suspends crap, that's going to be on his resume. Right. You know, since all of his actions in football are off the field, it's difficult to judge Kraft or any other owner by the same standards players. But Goose, as I mentioned, Paul Tagliabue did that to Eddie DeBartolo. He did it. And he was the climate has changed. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ron, yeah. what's been the reaction to this story in the Boston area? <laughs> well, what you would expect, you know, the usual uh, New England knee-jerk defense of, of, of Robert Kraft. Look, as you mentioned, he's done a lot of charitable works as, uh, as well as saving the team from moving to St. Louis. Could have taken some 75 million and just walked away. Uh, so he's built up a lot of goodwill over the years. Uh, uh, many of the fans, not surprisingly, uh, I think, also totally missed the sex traffic and sex slave angle of this as it relates to these poor women forced to do these these things. Now, that's not to imply that Bob Kraft or any of the other customers uh, were involved in or aware of what was going on. But the sad truth is this stuff exists only because there are customers willing to walk in the door, use these women, and walk out in 13 minutes, as Mr. Kraft allegedly did, uh, as if you know they're not even people. Uh, it's a very sad story on all sides, frankly. Well, there's a sound that Robert Kraft may be hearing soon, <laughs> but this time it doesn't have to do with Mr. Kraft. No, siree. This time has to do with someone our Rick Goslin feels is Hall of Fame worthy and wrote as much on our website this week, talkoffamenetwork.com. And it's not Robert Kraft Goose. Who is it? Yes, there wasn't a more productive fullback in the NFL in the 1930s than Ace Gutowski. The NFL was a running league back then, and Gutowski was a definition of the term power back. He rushed for 3,200 yards in a decade, helped the Detroit Lions win an NFL championship in 1935, their first, in fact. The Lions set the league rushing record in 1936. That would stand for 36 years. And Gutowski himself set a franchise rush mark that would stand for 24 years. Now, he was one of the best, three best fullbacks in the NFL that decade, along with Clark Hinkle and Bronco Nagurski. But Gutkowski didn't arrive in the NFL in 1932 with the same college pedigree as Hinkle and Nagurski, nor did he play for an iconic NFL franchise like his two fellow fullbacks. Hinkle became a college football Hall of Famer at Bucknell and went on to play professionally for the Green Bay Packers. Nagurski became a college Hall of Famer at Minnesota and went on to play pro for the Chicago Bears. Hinkle rushed for 3,000 yards and Nagurski 2,600 in the 1930 decade. But when it came time to pick the 1930s all-decade team, Hinkle and Nagurski were selected. The ace was passed over. And when the NFL opened its doors in 1963, Nagurski was a member of the charter class and Hinkle was enshrined a year later. And just as he was passed over for the all-decade team, Gutowski has been passed over by the Hall of Fame. His weight is now at 56 years and counting. Now, he scored the opening touchdown in a 26-7 romp over the New York Giants in the 1935 NFL title game, then put together his finest season in 1936, leading the NFL in yards from scrimmage with 857. The physicality of his game was not restricted offense. He played both ways for the Lions, starting at linebacker on defense. The same season that he led the NFL in rushing attempts, in 1934, the Lions allowed a league-low 59 points in 13 games. Detroit opened that season with seven consecutive shutouts. 
take that 2,000 Ravens. The Lions added three more shutouts in each of the next three seasons. The Lions won 66% of their games with Gatowski in the lineup. He later served in World War II and became a world-class bridge player before passing away of cancer in 1976 without his name ever coming up for Canton. This ace deserved better. Okay, uh, Gooseman, I'm going to put you on the uh, Detroit spot. Hall of Fame, Ace Kodowski or Billy Sims? It'd be Billy Sims. He was the best player in his Detroit offense. Gatowski can't say that. Not when his backfield teammate Dutch Clark already has a bust in Canton. So it'd have to be uh, Sims. Sims was a more dynamic player. Gatowski did it in a less flashy less flashy uh, area as a fullback. Hey, Goose, quick question. If his name is Ace, he's a world-class card player, why isn't he in the Poker Hall of Fame? <laughs> He should be. He's in, probably in the Bridge Hall of Fame. He's probably in the Bridge yeah. Hall of Fame. Exactly there right. There you go. Anyway, we're going to take a break right there. When we return, we'll hear from Hall of Famer Ed Bouchette on what's going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What is going on with him? Well, Ed will tell us. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our first guest should be familiar to you. He's Hall of Fame voter and friend of the show, Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Now, Ed's been covering the Steelers for decades and is just the guy you want to talk to when trying to make out what exactly is going on with that team. And, and Ed, what exactly is? I mean, we got Le'Veon Bell leaving. Antonio Brown looks like he's all but out the door. Ben Roethlisberger was under fire. Mike Tomlin's under fire. What in the name of Vito Stellino was going on there? Well, name from the past there, Clark. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's not as... It really isn't as bad as it sounds nationally. Um... There, there were, uh, and Ben Roethlisberger is not a problem. I, I don't know why that has become a story, it, and it really has taken off locally. It has not been a story. Um, ben is, uh, is 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 really not even part of this whole thing, as far as the drama and everything else. But anyway, um, they they. Um, it started last year, all the drama, and uh, I'm not going to recount it because you don't have enough time. But there really, there are like four players involved. Martavis Bryant last year um, with his suspension even before asking to be traded. It, that started all kinds of things. Um, James Harrison, by the end of the year, falling purposely falling asleep at meetings, trying to get his release, and he did, and then he went to New England, and the players got picked off. Then this year, Le'Veon Bell uh, holding out the whole season, and the players match into it, and then Antonio Brown. So to me, it, 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 all this drama that's been centered around Pittsburgh, forget the on-field stuff where, you know, um, they didn't make the playoffs and they lost to Jacksonville in the playoffs last year at home. It's been four guys, and all four are going to be gone. So I, I think the drama is really going to um, go out of the football this year in Pittsburgh. Okay, you've kind of answered one of the questions I was going to ask you, but it's a two-part question about one of those guys, and that's Antonio Brown. Uh, one, is there any way the Steelers don't trade him? And two, if they do, what do you imagine they're going to get for him? Look, they have said they're not going to give him away, but 
what else are they going to do? Um, they can't have him back. They're, they're not going to come out and say, we'll take anything for him because that would diminish probably his trade value. So, um, you can bounce this around back and forth. And it, really, everybody has. What, what can you get for him? Who's going to get him? You know, I think a second rounder is reasonable for a guy like him. And Clark, um, you know, for all the trouble he's caused in Pittsburgh, he's been a great, great player. And uh, he has a reasonable contract. He's 31, yes, but um, he plays younger, I think. And I think he has at least a couple more years. And when he goes to a new team, whoever that is, I think he's going to want to show everybody that it that he is still the great Antonio Brown, that it was Pittsburgh causing his problems, not him, and he'll be a he'll be knuckled down and be a really good receiver. So, Ed, in a nutshell, what is the root of his problem with the Steelers? I, you know what, Ron, I don't know that. I, I don't know that anybody knows that. It's been a weird year for him, and he has been a very emotional player, a hardest worker you want to see, but very emotional, um, flies off the handle, you know, uh, has, has gone into it with coordinators, uh, you know, flapped his arms on the field, attacked Gatorade buckets, but this year's been different. This year it's turned more um, uh, aggressive, if you will, on and off the field. And and that has been, that, that's not been what he's been in the past. Was uh, Juju Smith-Schuster being named MVP, did that play into it at all? Yeah, Goose, we think that's what happened. Um, Antonio was, was you know, Ben Roethlisberger's uh, 04, so he's been here 14 seasons, been named MVP once, and this is an election by the team, teammates, players. Um, Antonio Brown was named four MVPs in the last going in this year or last year five years six years and uh, Juju was named MVP now the timeline on that was it was announced on Thursday uh, right before noon Mike Tomlin told the team that Juju was elected and then all of a sudden Antonio disappeared so we all pretty much think that's that's what set him off how was their relationship? Juju and Antonio? Yeah. It was all right. I mean, it, you know, it, uh, it, was, it was fine. It really was. Uh, and, and Juju has gone out of his way to compliment Antonio Brown. And we never saw a conflict there whatsoever. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were some other things. There was that tiff he had with Ben in a walkthrough Wednesday morning before the last game. But then those two talked it out on Thursday morning, and then came the announcement. <laughs> so, yeah. But there was other things. You guys know the other things, the off-the-field things, the attack on the reporters this year. Uh, that, that was just not – not. it was just out of the realm. He, he hadn't done those kinds of things before, at least that we know of. <laughs> 
Well, of course, James Harrison uh, blames Mike Tomlin for all the dysfunction. Uh, <laughs> Al Davis always used to tell me a fish rots from the head. Um, so what is Tomlin's uh, role in, in this kind of messy? It's funny because it just doesn't seem like what you, you know, when you think of the Steelers and how they have done things for so many decades, you just don't really think of special rules for special players. You know, Maybe they had them, I don't know, but it, it just seems kind of... Look, they all had them. Bill Cowher had them. Um, Plexico Burris was late for all kinds of meetings, and nothing was ever done. All right. Well, I can tell you this. Bill Belichick don't have them. <laughs> he said, hey, no. my home. He said, junior, say I'm home. He don't give a damn. You know, but, uh, so yeah, they, you could uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so the obvious question is, are the Steelers going to be a better team without those, with Bell and Brown? Is that even possible? Um. Yeah, because, I, well, I'm not going to predict they're going to be a better team, but it is possible. Uh, first of all, they didn't have Bell this year. Uh, they did have a guy, James Conner, who made the Pro Bowl, same position. Um, they didn't run the ball very much this year, which is why their their yards per game was so low. But their average was up. And... Um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger forced many balls to Antonio Brown. Uh, that some wound up being intercepted because of double and triple coverage. He won't be doing that anymore. But he also isn't going to have a playmaker like him. So it's possible. I mean, look at look at the New England Patriots, Ron. Uh, they won a Super Bowl without Bell and Brown. And what I mean by that is at those positions, you know, they didn't have the great, great wide receiver, the great, great running back. Um, and that's what the Steelers, I think, need to get back to, to doing is, uh, you know, maybe more of the team stuff than the star stuff. Mm-hmm. But they had the great, great quarterback, which leads me to my question, uh, Ed. And- well, this team has got a pretty good one, too. Yeah, no, he's good. I, I do like him, and, and I and I saw what Kevin Colbert said about him, about Ben Roethlisberger. He's the unquestioned leader of the team. Now, you mentioned in 14 years he's been an MVP once. Do you think and do you agree that with uh, Kevin Colbert that he is the unquestioned leader of the team? I think there's a bunch of leaders on the team. I think Kevin went overboard on that statement because uh, Ben was taking hits nationally. And he wanted to come out. I mean, we didn't even ask him about Ben when he brought it up. He wanted to come out and show that this this franchise is behind Ben. But I I think he probably did step a little too far because there are some other leaders on his team as well. But his point was Ben's the only one on the team who's won a Super Bowl with him. He's won two. Um, There are, you know, very few players who are even left on a team who – visited the Super Bowl, which was 2010 season, when they lost to the Packers. So um, in that sense, you know, he was asked, Ben's taken some hits for things he said on a radio program that he does weekly, and sometimes he brings up players, and not in a nasty way either. And Colbert's reaction to a question on that was, maybe those players should listen to him. Well, There's a radical idea. Listen. <laughs> hey, Kevin Colbert said that uh, three teams have contacted you, contacted him about uh, Antonio Brown. Are you surprised it's that few? Well, uh, you know, there's a, another report out. Uh, it's up to five, Goose. Um, 
I'm taking Kevin for his word, uh, and that was we talked to him on Wednesday, which is when he announced that um, you know they were open to trades now. And I think he went on the NFL Network Thursday. So those were three teams within a 24-hour period. And I think a lot of teams are probably just waiting to see Kevin, you know, uh, out for a beer at uh, in Indianapolis this week. Ed, we got to run, but uh, thanks so much for the time, and thanks so much for playing Family Feud. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Good to be on with you again. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Ed. Ed. Yeah. That was Hall of Fame voter Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Up next, it's former Cowboys star Daryl Johnston, now a GM with the Alliance of American Football. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Daryl Johnston has seen football from every possible angle, from the field as a player, from the broadcast booth as an announcer, and now from the executive suite as general manager of the San Antonio commanders of the Alliance of American Football. Now, Daryl, as you know, a three-time Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys and a two-time Pro Bowl blocking back for Emmett Smith, Hall of Famer Emmett Smith, before spending the last 18 years as a TV analyst on NFL games. And now, well, now, he's making his debut of the San Antonio commanders. And Daryl, very, very nice to have you back with us. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Hey, Daryl, Ozzie Newsom and John Elway both transitioned from successful playing careers to Super Bowl GMs. John Lynch also served in that capacity in the, with the 49ers. When did you first start getting the itch about a possible move into a front office and actually running a team? Uh, probably about four years ago. Um, just seeing the influx of younger guys coming out and, and, and knowing that you're not going to be able to stay uh, in the broadcast booth forever, um, that there's guys going to be coming out that, uh, you know, have played the current style of football and, and, and maybe know it a little bit better with the way the, the game has changed since I played. And, and I'm sure much more familiar uh, to the younger audiences out there. So, um, you know, just to be prepared. And, and, and honestly, Rick, deep down inside, I think we've all – We've all wondered if we were given the opportunity, uh, after everything we've learned, ever, every, everything we've experienced, would all that knowledge uh, help us construct a roster that would be competitive and, and, and be able to compete for a championship? So uh, I, I'm sure that was Ozzy and John's uh, driving desire to get in. Uh, I, I know it's been John Lynch's. Um, so I've talked to other guys, uh, you know, since I've gotten this opportunity. And, uh, you know, they've wondered that same thing. So, you know, for all of us, I think it's just really kind of that, that final chapter. As, as you pointed out, you, you've played the game, you've broadcasted the game. Now the next thing is, you know, would you be able to be the person that could be the architect of a, of a roster uh, that would give the guys on that team an opportunity to compete for a championship? 
Well, Daryl, when I heard you were going to be on the show, the one question immediately popped into my mind. Um, what's a harder job, blocking Mike Singletary or building a brand-new football team from scratch? <laughs> <laughs> they each have their, their, their specific challenges. Um, <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, the... the uh, the, the the funny thing is is I didn't get to play against Mike uh, very often, but um, you know having been a fan of the NFL growing up and seeing all the you know the the, the shots and the video of, of Mike playing linebacker with those eyes, um, we were playing Chicago and we were in the high formation and I literally kind of leaned over to my right and looked between the, the the center guard gap to to get an up close and personal look at those those <laughs> eyes focused on the play and uh, you know it, it was. It's it's one of the moments that I'll always relish uh, in my playing career. You know, I was fortunate to play against Mike and, and Lawrence Taylor and, um, you know, some of the great players that were uh, a part of the league, you know, right as I was coming into it. So, uh, you know, that, that was a challenge. It was a challenge going against those types of guys. But there are challenges in this field as well, too. It, it's hard to juggle everything, and especially for us. You know, we're, we're really a true startup company. So there, there, there's been a lot more than just football that we've had to, uh, to tangle with from day to day. So um, it, it really there, – there's there have been moments during the course of the fall as we've, we've continued on through this journey – we're at about 3.30 in the afternoon. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, and then by 8 o'clock, you're like, wow, that was that was a fun day. There were some, there were some moments there where I didn't know if I was going to make it, but, you know, you end the day on a good note. So uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a joy. It really has. We've got, we've got good people around us, and uh, they make the crazy days more enjoyable to make it through. Daryl, we ask that same question on the show every week. What have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, Two-part question here. Um, since you mentioned the job, um, I know it's you, you've only been playing here for three weeks or so, but you've been certainly on the job a lot longer than that. What's been the best part of it, and, and what's been the most difficult part of it? The best part is, is really having the opportunity – to do some things from a league standpoint um, that maybe you know other people in, in the GM role didn't get the opportunity to contribute uh, be, because we are a true startup and, and we're doing things a little bit differently. Um, you know, Bill Polian has been great at soliciting advice. You know, on our on our weekly conference calls with, with the AGMs that have been a part of the league. Uh, so you know, we we've been able to. I, I, I maybe steer is too strong a word, but but he's been very open to our suggestions, and and I think the collaborative effort um, has been very important. I, I think that we have put some some good things in place, and and the cool thing about this is, you know, the alliance is a single owner entity, so. Um, if, if we think that there's something that should be changed, it, it, it gets changed at the alliance level, and then all eight franchises adjust to that. So, um, you know, for example, this this week, you know, we'll be actually expanding our rosters to 46 plus one. Uh, so we'll be adding two more roster spots, and, and we were able to convince Bill and, and, and the people um, that make the, the decisions that. You know, we, we felt as a developmental league and having 52 guys out there, the thing that we always talk about is getting them snaps on the field. And why do we really want to make eight guys inactive and, and not allow those opportunities to be on the field? So, um, you know, as the negotiations went back and forth, we were, we were at least able to get two more guys added to our active roster. And, and some of that is is injury concerns, uh, you know, with the quality of play, uh, you know, and you weigh that risk against, you know, putting more people in harm's way where you could have guys go on 
on IR, and then you'd have some unanticipated costs at that standpoint. So, uh, but in the uh, the overall dialogue of the conversation, we felt the, the most important thing, which has been since day one, is the quality of the product on the field, and, and, and Bill decided to add two more players to make sure that if, if we did get hit heavily uh, in one position with injuries during the course of the game, we'd have the opportunity to be able to back that up. And, and Daryl, following up on Clark's question, what has been the most difficult part of your job? Is it convincing Mike Riley to carry a blocking fullback? Uh, yeah, it's. It, <laughs> I, I am. I am so ashamed to say that we don't have a true fullback on this roster. I have a board of things that I need to do in year two, uh, and that is that is. You know, it's it's a fixture at the number one spot. Uh, I will find I will find a true F out there um, this off season um, uh, who can do a little bit of H. Uh, he can be that bootleg guy. Um, you know, he's not going to scare you twenty yards down the field, but inside fifteen yards, he's going to be a viable receiver. Um, you know, we do do some uh, some man schemes and some power game. Um, so I need uh, a guy that's a little bit of a thumper. Um, he's a little bit athletic. Uh, he can get down the field and. And those guys are hard to find. And I don't want to convert. I'm not a conversion guy. Uh, I love what James Devlin does for the Patriots, uh, but but I think that that's a unique thing. Um, you know, it, it's hard to make that conversion. You know, I've got to find that guy with the mentality um, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, I've never bought into the defensive mentality thing that, that the guys on the defensive side of the ball are tougher and more physical. Uh, you know, I, I would put our offensive line up against any defensive line in the NFL if you're talking about toughness. So uh, I've, I've always felt that, that toughness is on both sides of the ball, and I've just got to find that kid who's out there that, that's in the, the type of offense that, that uses those skills um, and, and find them. And, and it's going to be hard now because of the success that the Patriots have had with James Devlin. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a chore. But, but overall, the hardest thing through this whole process, Rick, is, is saying goodbye. Um, I'm still not comfortable with it. Um, it it it's as, as emotional for me as it is for the player because I know that this one is different. You know, in the NFL, when you have your cut downs and, and things didn't work out uh, for whatever reason, timing, circumstance, um, there, there's probably going to be another opportunity. For the guys with us down here, you know, a lot of times that's it. You know, they've, they've, they've tried this enough times where – we were able to convince them or, or, or people around them were able to convince the player to, hey, give it one more shot. And, you know, I think sometimes when we're having those conversations, I, I have that realization that this is that one last shot and, and it didn't work out. So those have been those have been really hard conversations. And, and I still I'm, I'm still searching for the right way to do it. I just I don't think I'm ever going to find that. And that's something that I'm going to have to come to terms with. Well, as you mentioned uh, a couple times, Daryl, the, the Alliance is a startup uh, league, yet you have uh, a number of veteran coaches like Mike Martz and Steve Spurrier and Dennis Erickson and Mike Riley who have had, you know, been highly successful in uh, in other places, and they're driven to win. Uh, is that a, at all a difficult sort of balancing act at this time when when you're trying to get a league off the ground? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it was uh, it was very helpful to us. Um, I think it you know it gave us some validation at the beginning. Um, you know that's what attracted me. Uh, and, and people said right away, you know what what was you know what was the number one thing that 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 made you want to take this challenge on. And and number one, it was really the opportunity. I, I knew that that you know there were there were few opportunities that John Lynch was was able 
to have offered to him, you know, going from the booth right to an NFL general manager role. Uh, I, I knew that that was not going to be the path that was going to be there for me. Um, so when this opportunity came around in, in this league, um, you know, I, it was it was really hard for me not to say so. This has accelerated my learning curve by by five to eight years, um, and and maybe the opportunity to be an NFL GM down the road is there, but but it wouldn't have happened without this opportunity here. So it, it was kind of hard to say no, uh, and then you started to hear the names of the people who were involved in it, and, and for me that that was the the clincher. Um, you know, Charlie Ebersol is the visionary. You know, hires Bill Polian and is his co-founder on the football side. And then the names that you mentioned, you start to hear the coaches that were involved. You start to hear the general managers that are involved. You start to see the staffs that these head coaches are constructing. Um, you know, last week we got beat by San Diego uh, with Mike Martz as the head coach and Larry Marmee as the defensive coordinator. Um, you know, those those are guys with, with NFL credentials and pedigrees. So, you know, that is one of the reasons why, you know, the quality of the football that's played in the alliance, I think, has surprised some people. We've, we've got some really good coaches, some really good teachers down here with us on these teams uh, and, and it's a challenge every week and, and I and I think that the parity that exists here uh, is, is a result of the unique way that we were uh, we, we, we used to construct our rosters. Daryl, we've got about 30 seconds to go but I want to ask you quickly, uh, do you watch tape differently now as a GM than you did as a TV analyst because you're looking to evaluate players now for employment? It's so much harder, uh, and they're all different. You know, I'm, I'm much wider in my perspective as an analyst because it's hard to get into the the minutia of the play and the player. Uh, where now in, in the GM role, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm I'm looking for the first step. I'm looking for you know body lean. I'm looking for change of direction. Um, you're looking for all those traits on the individual as as opposed to you know the philosophy and and the uh, uh, the identity of the teams that you're going to be talking about television so it really has been an adjustment and every once in a while you know my eye will will drift back into the broadcaster role and i'll have to you know rewind a couple of plays and get back into it and get into the to the smaller detail of that snap daryl thanks so much for the time really appreciate it and good luck with the new job and the new league thank you very much i appreciate it take care guys thanks you got it that was former cowboy star and now san antonio gm daryl johnston up next it's the two-minute drill you're listening to the talk of fame network this is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We're almost at the end of our first hour, so... That's the two-minute warning. Yep, that means we're on to the two-minute drill. Rick has it this week, so Gooseman, let's get started. The NFL Combine is this week, and we're not there. So what do you miss most about the Combine? Easy. Breakfast at Shapiro's. Easier than that, 10 days of married points at the JW. <laughs> is the 2019 NFL draft more important to Heisman Trophy winner Kylan Murray or to the Raiders with those three first-round draft picks? The Raiders. For them, anyone with a pulse is important. Agreed. The Raiders. Murray has baseball. The Raiders have a vast hole in the talent pool. Speaking of the Raiders, <laughs> the city of Oakland is taking them back for 2019. Is breaking up that hard to do? Yeah, it is, Guzman, especially when no one else is in love with you. It, it is when you have a white elephant stadium and a homeless tenant. <laughs> the Patriots and Rams were awarded four compensatory picks apiece in the 2019 draft, including two each in the third round. Do the Super Bowl participants really need the extra help? Ask anyone who bet the over in Vegas, Goose. <laughs> 
Well, I would say judging by the few compensatory picks, whoever amounted to a hill of beans, if they do, they won't get it from those jokers. The top free agents are Pro Bowl pass rushers Demarcus Lawrence, Jadavian Clowney, and D. Ford. Which one would you sign? Clowney, but only for comic relief. <laughs> I would sign the two who stay on side. <laughs> the top free agent safeties are Earl Thomas and Landon Collins. Which one would you sign? Collins. He hasn't lifted a finger, if you know what I mean. Collins because he's 25 and Thomas is 29 and hasn't finished the full season since 2015. Go with the kid. Dr. Dad around board. <laughs> Bring in the ben, ben Roethlisberger, Ben Affleck, or Ben Carson? Jordy Ben, defenseman for Les Habitants. Ben Franklin, show me the Benjamins. <laughs> Baltimore has traded Joe Flacco and cut starting wide receiver Michael Crabtree. Have the Ravens just given up on the forward pass? Well, Goose, their quarterback is Lamar Jackson, the Venus de Milo of quarterbacks, so you tell me. <laughs> no, I just think they've given up on old guys throwing to old guys. Crabtree, Glover Quinn, Demarius Thomas, Kurt Coleman, Mike Adams, Captain Myrtleland, Charles Clay, and Brooks Reed are all cut this month. All started in the NFL last season. All are in their 30s. When did 30 become old? When the Who sang My Generation. <laughs> uh, when the salary cap rules made them overpaid for the level of production. That's the end of that. That's the end of the first half, but stay where you are. We run our own 40s for the NFL Scouting Combine. We have Ron with Borges or Bogus. And what keeps old guys from retiring? Well, we should know. So we answer that and more in the next hour. This is the Talk of Fame Network. is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network, where we not only have Ron this week, but we have Borges or Bogus back, too, and you'll hear it in this hour. But Ron is not the only one making a return appearance, so is a place he once called home, and that's the Oakland Alameda County Stadium, because it looks as if it will be the Raiders' home for one more season, with the team in the city on the verge of reaching an agreement for 2019. Now, I'm not sure who is happier here, Raider Nation or Ron. Maybe they're one and the same. So, Ron, which is it? You or Raider Nation? Oh, come on. Absolutely. This is the greatest. Oak Town is, is and always will be where the Raiders belong, although Vegas ain't a bad alternative. <laughs> uh, tough town for an historically tough team. They never had another option, which they should have known before they yeah. tried to cross the bay. If you're from Oak Town, you can't go to San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm not going to rain on your party here, but Gooseman, I want to mention to you, as Ron just did, it looks like the Raiders had nowhere else to go. I mean, London was out. London was not calling. Same with San Diego. As he mentioned, couldn't go across the bay to the Giants yard either. 
49ers didn't want him in Santa Clara. I think you get the idea. Nowhere else to go. Well, if Al was running the team, not Mark, the Raiders would be playing in Los Angeles this season. <laughs> Al always claimed he owned the territory. He'd move back to the Coliseum and brand the Chargers and Rams as interlopers. Mark <laughs> Davis, true. the guy, the Davis that Ron admires the most. Um, I'm sure John Gruden doesn't care, of course, Ron, because uh, he's just glad, you know, he's staying there. There's nothing's going to happen because it's never easy trying to coach a team in transition. By that, I mean geographical transition, playing in a stadium like in San Diego and Santa Clara, God forbid, in yeah. London, uh, that you're based ran for one year. Well, you know, generally that's true, but of course, in the Raiders' case, they won one of their Super Bowls living in hotel rooms oh, and other right. suitcases yeah. while traveling between Oakland and L.A. under the great Tom Flores, friend of the show. So maybe they should have become like the original Dallas Texans, a traveling team that never played a single home game. Of course, they only won one game, so that, that's all good. <laughs> that might happen this year. Hey, Chris, man, the Raiders have one more year there. What happens at that last home game? Because I think Ron maybe, I don't know, Ron, you may... I'll be there, baby. There. Yeah, I was going to say, Ditch is going to pitch them some swag, like a couple of seats or... <laughs> Exactly. Maybe one of those maybe one of those critters living under the stadium. What happens here, Goose? Last yeah, game. I was there when the Vikings played their last game at the Met, and the fans tore the place up afterward. But, but since the Oakland A's still call the Coliseum home and won't be moving into the new stadium until 2023, I would not expect a similar dismantling of the Coliseum after they played the last game. They may leave the building, but the building isn't going anywhere. <laughs> well, congrats, Ron. We are going somewhere. Your Raiders look like they're back where they belong, if only for a year. And you know something? We're going to be back where we belong, too, right after this. You'll listen to the Talk Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Calling. I guess he never really was out of the news. But anyway, according to the latest report, he wants $20 million bucks to play in the XFL, which starts up next year. And that's really consistent with another report that had him demanding, I think, $20 million to play in the Alliance of American Football, which is underway now, as you know, after having listened to Daryl Johnston. But question, Ron, I'll start with you. If uh, Colin Kaepernick's agent says um, he wants to return to football, as he does say, uh, and if we've been told um, that you know he's just scored a gazillion dollars settlement with the NFL, and if that's true... Then why is he all but guaranteeing he won't return to football by trying to break the banks here of two startup football leagues? Hey, man, got to get paid for being exploited. Power to the people, brother. <laughs> yes, twenty million bucks. Wow. Yeah, I agree. That the XFL, the XFL isn't buying a quarterback; they're buying credibility. They're buying the visibility of a Super Bowl quarterback and a political activist, and that's what Colin Kaepernick is selling. His good name. He wants to be paid for it. Oh, okay. Goose. Bottom line question here. Does he ever play in the NFL again? Well, the older he gets, the less likely he returns. He's been out of football for two years now. He's 31, and players generally don't get better through inactivity. So I think he's done as an NFL quarterback. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, he didn't take it kneeling down, but he took it to court and settled for some cash. Now, my guess yeah. is it's less cash than we think, uh, but more cash than you and I will ever get. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, okay, uh, let's move on. As you both know, we're about to launch the NFL's annual cluster derby this week, otherwise known as the Scouting Combine. Um, now, it happens every year is this time, and it's guaranteed to produce I don't know, about a million stories about, well, teams wanted to trade up, teams wanted to trade down, and, Goose, which players have the Browns spoken to? I want to know. Um, we, we used to go to it. We don't anymore. And first question, Goose, I'll start with you. You've been going longer than anyone else. Anyone here miss it? 
Yeah, I missed the chance to see every general manager, every personal director, scout, head coach, assistant coach in the NFL. I always considered this the best week in league's calendar year because of that. There's no other week that offers that kind of access to reporters. Well, you know what I miss, guys? I miss listening to the blues every night at the Slippery Noodle Inn on South Meridian, the oldest bar in Indiana and occasionally the most dangerous. Love that joint. And just to be sure, I looked up Mojo Gumbo and Big Daddy Caddy are playing this week, and we're going to miss them. <laughs> Who's playing at Shapiro's this weekend, Ron? Not us. The bagel maker. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, I've asked you guys in the past for your most memorable moment. Uh, Ron, how about your most memorable interview there? Ooh, my most memorable interview. Actually, um, uh, Jim Schwartz. I ran into him. You know, he's a friend of mine, I thought. And I ran into him walking from the hotel to the uh, stadium one day. So he had just taken over as a head coach. So I said, oh, great. So we, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah. We're talking. We're chatting up for five minutes. As soon as I asked him a football question, he looks at me and goes, sorry, man, got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it just doesn't matter how long you know this guy. how that happens. How about you, Goose? <laughs> yeah. I always just searched all 334 players invited to the combine and tried to interview all of them. I'd have one or two specific questions I asked. So one time I asked for a small college quarterback, and the NFL guys brought him to the media room without any fanfare, specifically for me. So I was visiting with Mike O'Hare of the Detroit News. When they brought him in, I invited Mike to sit in on the interview. He asked me, well, who is this guy? And I said, well, he won the Peyton Award as the best player in Division One AA. So we sat down, just the two of us, and spent about 15 minutes interviewing Tony Romo. Oh, wow. Ooh, good call. Good call. That's why Bill Belichick gave him a shout-out. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm not sure why, but I remember the J.J. Stokes interview. I think it had to be 1995, but uh, he was brought out from behind the curtain and asked to talk to us. He didn't want to. Nevertheless, he did, and he was. <laughs> How should I put this? Because I remember you were with me, too, so you would remember. He was less than cooperative. I think there were about six or eight of us there, and finally someone said, you really don't want to do this, do you? And he said, No. That was the end of the interview. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Yeah. As you know, one of the most celebrated measuring six of the combine is the all-important, or so we're told, times in the 40-yard dash. Now, it's supposed to be what defines some of these guys. Go tell that to the team that drafted the 2,040-yard dash. Slowpoke. Not Ron. It'd be Tom Brady. Anyway, we can't run the 40 here. Not in the studio. But we can get through a 40-second quiz. Second. And we're going to. I'm going to ask each of you to answer as many questions as you can in 40 seconds. And at the end of the drill, we'll have our first pick of the draft, meaning the winner of this drill. So you guys ready? Ron? Goose? Okay. Goose, you're first up because you started covering the combine back in the 90s. I think it was the 1890s, right? 1890s, yes. Yeah, that's right. So here we go. And remember, Goose, you're on the clock starting now, most overrated quality in quarterbacks? Arm. Most underrated? Accuracy. Best non-combine player ever? Antonio Gates. What do you love about the combine? Access to coaches and GMs. What don't you? Those cold weather walks back to the hotel. First question you'd ask Kyler Murray. What's your hand size? First question you'd ask Bill Belichick. Who's the best player on your board and not at the combine? First pick of the dinner draft, St. Elmo's, Capital Grill, or Shula's? Capital Grill. First pick of the breakfast draft, Shapiro's, Shapiro's, or Shapiro's? Shapiro's. Best interview in combine history? Jeremiah Trotter. Okay, that's good. I think we had, what do we have, about 10 of those? Anyway, uh, Robert will ask, uh, add them up. Ron, we're going to do the same thing with you now. It's up to okay. you. you got to break Goose's markup. I think it was 10 answers. Here we go. Right. You ready? Here yeah. it is. Most overrated quality in quarterbacks? Arm strength. Most underrated. Decision making. Best non-combine player ever. John Randall. What you love about the combine. 
watching GMs lie. Which you don't. <laughs> watching, watching reporters report it as if they're telling the truth. First question you'd ask Kyler Murray. If you kneel down, can you see over the sofa? First question you'd ask Bill Belichick. <laughs> Any Aaron Hernandez's in this class? First pick of the dinner draft, St. Elmo's Capital Grill of Shoeless. St. Elmo's, talk of fame networks about history. First pick of the breakfast draft, Shapiro's, Shapiro's, or Shapiro's? Shapiro's, but the blueberries at the JW Merritt ain't bad, but you guys wouldn't know. Oh, we have a winner, and Ron, it's not you, it's the Goose Man. No! He beat you by one, he did, he beat you by one. Uh. Goose, stick around after the show, we have some shrimp leftover from St. Elmo's. <laughs> Ron, the blueberries killed us. <laughs> yeah, the blueberries did. <laughs> There's the signal that we're about to hear from Ron again, only this time. It's not about the blueberries, it's with his gorgeous or bogus. Ron, I have no idea where you're going, so take it away. Instead of, the, instead of the blueberries, it's about the blues. That's what Robert Kraft is singing. I don't know who is advising Robert Kraft in the matter of a spa gate, but he might want to reconsider. Kraft was charged this week with two first-degree misdemeanors for allegedly buying sex from a prostitute who the state of Florida claims was a sex slave and trapped in an international sex trafficking ring. Although it was highly unlikely that Kraft knew of the latter when he pulled up to the Orchids of Asia day spa in his chauffeur-driven 2015 Bentley and walked inside for an unexpected videotape session. Uh, he did. Uh, uh, he did manage to turn a misdemeanor into a felony by hiring well-known Florida lawyer Jack Goldberger to represent him. As decisions go, that was more bogus than the one he twice made going into that joint. For a billionaire owner, this is more about optics than outcome. Graf's not facing jail time or any long-term legal trouble. He's facing a PR nightmare, though. And when you court the kind of reputation he has, labored so hard to build. That's why hiring Goldberg was a bogus idea. If you're trying to complain, uh, proclaim your innocence, now why is that? Because when it's about image, hiring the guy who represented the notorious billionaire Jeffrey Epstein when he was charged with allegedly running a sex trafficking ring involving underage girls in 2008 and then made a plea deal that is now being investigated by Congress is uh, like throwing good money after bad. His first court appearance is scheduled for April 24th. He's not required to personally appear and likely won't. He's categorically denied the charges, but a day later the sheriff's office claimed, uh-oh, we got you on video, bro, twice. Uh-oh. <laughs> now that's bad news for one of the most powerful owners in football, and hiring a guy who represented someone who pled guilty to sex trafficking himself made for not only a bad look but a bogus one. If the charge is misdemeanor solicitation, why bring in an elephant gun to remove the legal equivalent of a mosquito? I don't get it. Ron, is, wasn't uh, Alan Dershowitz available? <laughs> he was trying to claw his way in there. Headlines, he loves the headlines. Yeah, uh, yeah that, would have, that would have been not good. He would have got the video and played it. <laughs> hey, Ron, what do yes. we call this? Inflate gate or spa gate? What is it? <laughs> You've called it both. Right, well, for the purposes of, of the fans of Bogus, I thought we'd go a little little uh, different, a little conservative, you know, Spygate. <laughs> you guys ever been to the uh, Asian Orchard no, Day Spa? No, no, no. And I don't think You're I'm going to be around there. Florida either. guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking. We're going to stop right there, Ron. Thanks. Hey, guys, get your breath because we're going to go to break. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, I see where millennials are now $1 trillion in debt. 
Thanks to recurring costs from college debts. Uh, that's at least what I heard on the uh, news the other day. And, Ron, congratulations to you. That's something you can pass on to your son, Jack. So Jack, <laughs> congratulations. We got, we got $1 trillion in debt. Young Jack's not going to have to worry about that. My son has more money in the bank than I do. He gets the cash. I get his debt. <laughs> Wait a minute. More money than you do? Yeah, which ain't saying Please. much. Be the first to admit, but. <laughs> so you can be staying at the JW Marriott when he's uh, old enough? <laughs> He'll be throwing blueberries out the window at me. Here you there go, Dad. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it goes, isn't it? I mean, really, it's crazy how the costs have been so dramatically over the years. I mean, we live near uh, Yale University, and I was told the other day the annual list price of one year's education there is now something like seventy-five grand, which is something like seventy-five grand more than we could spend. Goose, <laughs> follow the crumbs. You'd be glad you don't have kids going to college today. <laughs> Guys, I left Michigan State in December of nineteen seventy-two without any debt. Back then, we paid thirteen dollars per credit hour if you lived in state. Thirty-three per credit oh, hour if you lived out of state. Oh my! I paid every paid. I paid every penny of it. Paid it on time. Obviously, it's a little more expensive these days. Thank yeah, God, I was an in-stater. But let me say this: here in Texas, they have a program where you can set up your child's college fund when he's born and make annual contributions, and that goes a long way toward easing future student debt. You know, I have some friends that have done that. If you live in state, goose is the the cost prohibitive to go to uh, Texas University of Texas. No, it's, it's well, yeah, it is not by my terms, no, but, yeah, you're better off in-state, but it's still going to cost you. Hey, Ron, we both have kids, so maybe we should hit Andrew Whitworth up for a loan. Uh, <laughs> he's got some know, cash. He's a, as you know, he's a starting left tackle. Yeah, he does have some cash for the Los Angeles Rams. And he was someone I think everyone figured would retire this year, but he isn't. Uh, no, he announced this week that he's returning to the Rams, and that's good news. Goose for Sean McVay, and it's better news for Jared Goff. Yeah, I voted Woodward as my first team all-pro left tackle last season. Whoa. So he still had plenty of gas left in his tank, and it was a smart move for him to return. You know, he's also one of the best interviews I've ever had. Yeah. And I've always yep. found offensive linemen among the most insightful players in any locker room. So in addition to the vague off and the Rams benefiting, the Rams beat writers will be major beneficiaries as well to his return. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great for them, and uh, hopefully it'll be good for Whitworth as well. But it's just, you know, it's just a reminder how hard this game is for for these yeah. guys to shake. You know, even guys who play a sort of underappreciated, grueling position like offensive linemen, uh, you know, they they hold on to the end. Well, for some of you out there who might not remember Andrew Whitworth, and, and it's possible because offensive linemen aren't the most well-known guys in the game, even though Goose is interviewing them every Sunday. But Andrew Whitworth is the guy behind one of the most memorable quotes of Super Bowl 53. And if you don't remember that either, it went like this. Uh, looked it up today. You're not going to get me to pout or feel sorry for myself. I don't give a crap if you have a Hall of Fame bust, if you've been a pro bowler or won 20 Super Bowls. At the end of the day, you're all going to die, and you're all going to have an opportunity not to play football. Who you are, how you carry yourself, whether you pout or feel sorry for yourself, is the only thing that's going to matter, because that's what people are going to remember about you, end quote. That was Andrew Whitworth speaking, Ron, not T.O. <laughs> yeah, you know, that really was a wonderful sp- uh, speech, I thought, uh, especially considering the timing of it. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl is so big to the participants. Uh, I think it's hard to get any kind of proper perspective on it when you're in the middle of it. Uh, I remember our, our friend Marty Herney, uh, the Panthers GM, telling me once uh, he would have rather not been in the Super Bowl than, mm. than to have lost it, which I thought was nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the world those guys live in, you know, um, so it makes uh, Whitworth's kind of perspective, to me at least, even more impressive. 
Who's wasn't it? Dwayne Thomas. They asked him one time something about the ultimate game, and he said, "This is the ultimate game. Why do they play it every year?" I mean, this right. is a good response. That was Dwayne Thomas. I love yeah. that. Well, uh, all that's going to matter to some people this week is the NFL scouting combine, and a little bit of news there. Talks have begun to extend the contract with Indianapolis, where the event is held every year, uh, and they've, they've uh, begun to extend the contract beyond next year, which is when it expires. Now. That's significant because there have been talk of moving the combine from Indianapolis. But, Goose, that doesn't make a lot of sense, A, because being in the middle of the country, Indianapolis is geographically ideal, and B, because Indianapolis has done such a good job of hosting the event for the past 30 years. But but there is a viable option. It's right here in Dallas at the Star where the Cowboys practice. There's a hotel and full-service hospital attached to the practice facility. It's actually a better setup than Indianapolis. Uh, there are also plenty of hotels to accommodate teams and media. But there's a comfort level in Indy because they've been there so long. The routine has been established. But Dallas provides the NFL some leverage, and we all know how much the NFL loves its leverage. It also is pretty good setup with the airport uh, being you can get anywhere in the country in two and a half hours, and the weather is a lot better right now this time of year. Well, for me... Vegas, baby. <laughs> they should go to Vegas. <laughs> Ron, would you keep it in Indianapolis? Yeah, I mean, seriously, Indy's a great location uh, because, in my opinion, it's central, uh, middle of the country for all the teams and the players to ease. It's fairly easy to get to. Uh, everything in the city is walkable, as you guys know, since they fill in that hole that used to be there 20 years ago and put a mall in there. Uh, you know, and even as a damn blizzard, you can easily get from point A to point B and you can walk yeah. inside most of the way. Uh, downtown area is concise. Um, Got just enough hotels and restaurants. I, I I think it's it's perfect actually, and and you know why move just to accommodate yeah, no, the goose man in Dallas? You know, that's, that's <laughs> I, I love I love Indianapolis, and not only for that, but I think it's I thought it was a great Super Bowl host. Wish they go back. I mean, you're, you're right, everything's interconnected. Anyway, I guess we're going to have to wait on this. In the meantime, um, the league's competition committee, which is already in Indianapolis, it meets prior to the combine every year. Anyway, it's there to talk about possible rules changes. And there's nothing on the front burner yet. But I did see where Rich McKay, who chairs the committee, said that while there needs to be a discussion on replay, so far there's no conviction that something specific needs to be changed. Uh, There's not? I mean, in light of what happened last year, particularly in the playoffs? Okay, particularly in New Orleans? Ron, I got to be honest with you, I find that surprising. How about you? <laughs> well, inaction by these guys is never surprising. I mean, they, uh, uh, you know, they never have seen a problem that couldn't kick down the road. They should be congressmen. Uh, but uh, you know, but the right action it, it, to me is, is uh, you know, look, replay needs fixing, officiating needs fixing, pace of play needs fixing. Uh, but then again, why fix it when you're making fourteen billion a year? Which is, I'm sure, how they look at. It. Yeah, you know me, guys. Get rid of all replay. I'm not a replay yeah. fan. And I think the more the NFL puts its thumbprints on replay, the worse it gets. So whatever they do this off season, they're going to make it worse. Okay, well, I, I, I don't disagree with you, Goose Man. And, Ron, this leads me to a couple questions here. What yes. changes would you like to see made? If not that, what changes would you like to see made? Uh, well, play games and, uh, uh, and officiate games in October the same way you officiate them in January. Let them play. It's a physical game. It's supposed to be physical. Now, not kamikaze physical, but physical. You know, let them play. And I think uh, if you're going to have replay, give every team one challenge. And you can challenge anything mm-hmm. on the football field, but you get just one. And if you 
win that one? Do you get another one or just, just one, period? Just one. Okay. What about Mike Pereira's idea that he expressed on the show following the New Orleans debacle? And that was, there should be another official involved, an eye in the sky, I think he called it, uh, that can quickly correct bad calls like the one made in the Rams-Saints game. And Goosey said you could do this in real time, so it wouldn't be a hardship in terms of delaying the game. I think uh, it's it's the, probably the, the best thing they can do. But the problem, I think, going forward is every play you're going to have uh, holding on number 68, mm-hmm. next play holding on number 53, next play holding on number 76. You can call a penalty on every play. And the more eyes you, you see looking for penalties, the more penalty flags you're going to get. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it works if you don't make it about, you know, uh, you know, lift the whack-a-mole, you know, find a penalty. Uh, and you just make it, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, and instead of that, you just use it on you know, uh, calls made on the field, and you know you're not shoot. Take a look at it, and uh, uh, you know, but don't be making calls from up there. Just look there and say, okay, they blew this or that, and then you could jump on it and put them on a time clock. You know, you got 45 seconds to do it, a 30 seconds, and that's it. Not endlessly playing forward and back until it looks like the Rodney King tape, and he shot the cops instead of the other way around. So, Ron, how would you improve whack-a-mole? <laughs> I love me some whack-a-mole. Yes, you do. <laughs> okay, well, how about just the pass interference rule in and of itself? Ron, I'll ask you again. I mean, we've had right. Mike Pereira on here many times saying it should be a 15-yard penalty like the colleges do, just like the colleges do. They're making it a spot foul only if it's intentional and egregious. How do you stand on that? Well, I'd stay away from the latter because now you're into inter- you're interpretation. So what's intentional and what's egregious and what isn't intentional and what isn't egregious. You know, I mean, I, although I know what but, was intentional. But PA is an in, in, interpretative foul anyway. I mean, PA I mean, right. is an interpretative foul anyway. Right, which is to me just I would do two things. I'd make them all 15-yard penalties because you can't get inside a guy's head. But then I would add a new penalty just so it, just what Goose wants is a new penalty, and it's this. Quarterback throws it away or in the ground to avoid a sack. Then the ball goes right back to wherever he did that. Why should they get rewarded for a bad play? I love that one. Yeah. What I would do on PI. Either that, Ghost, don't forget you're going to say either that or the guy gets to pick the quarterback and slam him into the ground as hard as possible. Either option. I would keep pass interference a spot fall, but also I would make pass interference on offense a yardage fall as well. So if you're going to have a 35-yard penalty on defense, give it to him on offense. And also start calling pass interference on the offense. There's more pushing off in the NFL than there is in the NBA. I know. Hey, Gooseman, one last thing. The AAF has done away with the kickoffs, as you know. Would you support that? Well, essentially they have. There are only five return for touchdowns last year. Uh, And now there are more touchbacks. They're just taking the ball to 25. Essentially they've gotten rid of the kickoff. Thank you, Ron. Uh, look, I like kick returns. Go back to the to a situation where you can have sp- spectacular plays by Gail Sayers and guys like that. Or like Billy that, White Shoes Johnson. Right, right, Nolan Smith, you know. I mean, come on. Yeah. Hey, Ron, one Dude, other question. You... Any chance of making the Goose Man the co-chair of the competition committee? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? I'd rather have him the eye. I'd rather he be the eye in the sky. He would never see anything. <laughs> Didn't well, say it. No penalty. No problem. I guess he's going to stay here for a while anyway. He stays with us for at least what's next. And what's next is you're going to find out because it's the Talk of Fame Network.
This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Wow, uh, it's getting late, but um, you know what? I almost forgot, guys. I wanted to mention the passing of someone who was close to Ron and whom, through Ron at least, I got to know, and that's columnist Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe, who died unexpectedly last week at the age of 62. Now, Nick didn't cover the NFL or football. He covered the Boston Red Sox, and I'll tell you, he was outstanding at it. Um, I love the Yankees, but I read Nick's columns, and he did a great job. In fact, uh, he loved it so much he was at his run. It was the Red Sox spring training camp in Florida last week on his day off when he suffered a fatal embolism. And, Ron, as I mentioned, you knew him well. The obvious question what do you remember most about Nick? Well, you know, his, his, his graciousness uh, to everyone, you know, whether you were uh, some famous ball player or general manager, or you were the bat boy, or you were some uh, copy clerk at the, at the Globe. You know, he treated everybody uh, with the same sort of respect. And, uh, and, you know, and the guy knew everybody, you know, in baseball. Uh, and no one has a mean thing to say about him, which is pretty unusual. Right. And I always used to kid him. I say, you know. I got, like, my gut hate guys, and then I got guys who actually want to hate you, but instead they hate me instead just because they like you, you know? Uh, you know, it's just piling on. Uh, but, you know, That's why you keep you on this show, Ron. That's yeah, exactly. People don't hate us, they hate you. Yeah, keep the heat off you guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the Globe ran a, a full-page tribute to Nick on Sunday, and uh, yeah. I thought it was interesting because one of them was written by Brian Cashman, the, the general right. manager of the Yankees. Uh, you know, and the, and the other thing was the day after Nick passed, uh, it was really interesting, Red Sox manager, who's a very classy guy, Alex Cora. He spent his entire morning press conference down in Fort Myers talking about Nick. And one of the uh, things he talked about was a dispute they had last year after Nick had written that he thought Cora gave uh, the players too many days off. And uh, they eventually agreed to disagree on that point. But the morning after Nick died, uh, at Jet Blue, right at JetBlue Park, uh, near the batting cages, uh, Alex Cora said uh, he was here working on his day off. Now I understand. Mm, yeah, it's yeah. quite. A you know, I saw I saw that interview with Cora, and as I said, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, so I don't like the Red Sox, but I, I really like him, and yeah. I thought that was really gracious, and he spent so much time, and obviously he was very sincere. But I was talking about the story he wrote about his father, I guess, about um, yeah, um, Cora's father, and then he, he he was. I thought Cora was terrific, and, and Nick was terrific. Listen, I did not know him that well, but I did know him, Ron, through you, and what I can remember. As clear as if he were standing here right now was a smile. He had an easy and kind smile. You always knew where he stood with him. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you know, you know there are a lot of reasons why we were uh, friends. But, you know, he, one of them was he was old school like me. He hates, hated sabermetrics. He thought they were overblown. He thought they led to undervaluing uh, real people and in particular scouts who he loved. And, you know, he grew up in an all-Italian all household. And he loved the fact that I grew up in an all-Portuguese neighborhood where more people spoke Portuguese, frankly, than English. He thought uh, that that was great. Great, and that was when America was great. That whole sort of melting pot uh, aspect of things, um, uh, you know. And as with most things, Nick was right. You know, he was he was old school uh, in those places where you should be, and he was very modern in the places where that was important. Yeah, well, what you mentioned, there was an enormous outpouring of sympathy by the baseball community following his death, and rightly so. An outstanding reporter and an even better guy, Nick Cafardo, gone way, way too soon at the age of sixty-two. In the previous segment, um, we mentioned how Andrew Whitworth has decided at the age of 37 um, to keep playing rather than to retire. And we also mentioned how delighted and, frankly, relieved the Rams are. But that, guys, leads to a fundamental question that I want to address here. Um, why is it so easy 
um, to, to, to say, I want to stay in this sport. I guess why is it not so easy to say goodbye? I mean, last week we had Devin McCourty um, from your New England Patriots, Ron, saying he wasn't going anywhere. He's going to be back for another season. Right. And, of course, everyone remembers Brett Favre retiring. No, he's unretiring every summer. Goose, what is it about this game that makes it so hard for guys to leave? It's their life. This is what they've done since they were 9 and 10 years old. You prepare for a football season, you practice, you play the games, take a couple months off, and you start the same routine again. This is what Andrew Whitworth has done for probably almost three decades of his life. Playing football is his comfort zone. It's it's difficult to leave your comfort zone. You know, is what we've probably realized those weeks after the Super Bowl. Well, now what? Okay, Ron, I'll ask you then. We have Rod... Rob Gronkowski uh, in the on-deck circle, and as Goose mentioned, comfort zones. I mean, the expectation is that he'll leave that comfort zone, that he'll retire. But now, I'm not so sure, to be honest with you. I mean, common sense, to me, tells him to leave. Um, but honestly, common sense, I thought, should have told Tom Brady, who's 41, coming off a Super Bowl victory to leave, too. So, I guess the obvious question is, what do you think happens with Gronk? Well, I think he probably stays unless the Patriots, you know, try to trade him away or force him to take a pay cut, uh, which would be ridiculous. Uh, then I think he might walk. Uh, but, you know, with all these players, once once they heal up after a long season and they begin to uh, think of the competition again and the games and the crowds and the, yeah. all that, you know, it's it's a drug that they can't get off of, you know. Uh, um you know, I remember one time, and there's another aspect to it too, and 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 I don't mean this quite as it's going to sound harsher than I mean it, but I asked a, a, a famous boxing trainer one time, Gil Clancy, you know, about fighters stay too long, you know, and, and look, there's no more punishing sport than than boxing, including football. Uh, so so why do you keep doing it when when you're uh, when you can't really do it at top level anymore? And he said to me, because they don't want to go to work. And I think there's an aspect of that, too. You know, they're afraid to go to work and be like everybody else. You know, get up at 6 o'clock and brush your teeth and take a shower and get in the car and, you know, drive to wherever you drive to and work for 8, 9, 10, 12 hours and then drive home and nobody gives you any fanfare. Uh, you know, this in, you know, in that way, this job is, is unique. You know, if people don't, other than Goose, nobody cheers uh, the rest of us. You know, we go in, we do our job, we go home. You know, I think in, in Gronk's case, if, if there's still fuel in a tank and fire in the belly, I'd say play. You, know, you saw in the playoffs there were still some plays in his body, and he'll always be able to block. But when your body tells you it's time, then you leave. And I'm not sure Gronk's body has told him it's time yet, and I'm sure when it does, I'm not sure he'll listen. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. no, I agree with you. In fact, I remember um, when I was covering the 49ers, Bill Walsh pulled me aside. And he was talking about Jerry Rice. He said, we're going to have to let him go pretty soon. I said, you kidding? He goes, no. And he said, but these guys don't understand when it's time to go. They really don't. You have to tell them. And he said, with no. Jerry, it's going to take a bunch of Clydesdales to pull him off the field. And as it turns out, I mean, that was kind of what happened. Because then he went to Oakland and they went to, I think, Denver and Seattle, whatever. But he stuck yeah. around forever. Now, he was a productive receiver, but he wasn't Jerry Rice as the 49ers knew him. But... Um, Ron, if, if you had to counsel Gronk, what would you tell him? Would you tell him stay, go? What Gronk? Would you tell him? Uh, with Gronk, I would just say uh, I would give him the phone. I would give him. I would dial a phone for him, and I would say, I want you to talk to my dear friend uh, Mark Bavaro. Yeah, talk to him, who has just had his sh- uh, shoulder replaced. Um, He's been in a lot of pain with that. He's going to have his knee replaced in June. Uh, he's going to have. Uh, uh, his hand worked on at some point in time. I mean, he told me a story about when he was playing, they were operating on his back 
And when they got done, they just flipped him over and said, we might as well fish your foot, too. I mean, this is, you know, and, and he's 53 years old, and he's looking at the possibility of never being able to hit a golf ball again, which is one of the things he, he, he likes a lot. And if you play the style that Gronk plays, or if you, you know, which is similar to the style that Mark played, right. uh, you're going to pay a price for that, and you should talk to somebody who's paying it so you know before that bill comes due uh, what these decisions to keep going. I mean, this is a guy's had four back operations. Hey, Ron, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you think Bavaro would have traded his football career for good health at his age right now? No, 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 no question, Goose. He would not. I mean, he complains about nothing. He doesn't complain yeah. about these yeah. things. None I mean, he complains about, like. yeah, we, you know, we go out to lunch, he complains that he can't sit down, he can't stand up, you know, he complains about that, but he doesn't blame football, right. you know? Right. And, Ron, if you had to counsel Brady, He's only 12 years younger than Bavaro. If you had to counsel him, what would you tell him? I'd tell him uh, uh, he better be very, 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 very careful here because yep. the ice is getting thinner and thinner. Uh, right. And when that, uh, when the football gods bring that curtain down on you, it can often come down hard and fast, and it hurts when it lands. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you go talk to uh, Brett Favre today or Peyton Manning uh, and – was it really worth it in Favre's case, for example, to play one more year after that NFC Championship game? No, it was not. You know, yeah. it's probably too late at that point. Uh, but Tom better be careful because yeah, no, you're right. It only you're, takes you're right. one shot to change your life. Yeah, I don't need to talk to those guys. I covered the 49ers in the 90s, and they won the 94 Super Bowl with Steve Young. Um, and they were always a playoff threat throughout the 90s. But then, of course, 1990 came, and Steve had multiple concussions. And he had to decide what to do. And I know it was hard for him because he used to say he was never more comfortable than when he was in the huddle. So he wasn't sure what to do. And, and the 49ers knew it. So they made the decision for him. They told him, and with Bill, Bill Walsh, he said, listen, you, you're free to strike a deal with another team you're choosing. We're going to release you uh, if you don't retire. But you can go anywhere you want, and, and you can play for them in 2000. And so he goes to Denver. Mike Shannon's there, former offensive coordinator of the 49ers. He said, you know what? I'll make you the starter in Denver this year. You'll be the starter. Why don't you think about it? So Steve did, and he retired. It was a smart decision. And Goose, I know you went through the same situation with Troy Aikman in Dallas. Yeah, I remember Aikman crying in his retirement press conference. He didn't want to go, but his body, through the concussions, told him it was time. You know, it's difficult for an elite athlete to leave that stage. But right. the elite athlete has to realize when he is no longer elite, and few yeah. of them do. Yeah, it's tough. And, and, and you know what I find fascinating here? And, Ron, you mentioned earlier is that when you hear some of these players, and Goose asked you the question, who are either they're suffering from pain, like, or, or, um, like you're talking about Bavaro, uh, or from dementia, or, or have some debilitating illness or condition, almost to a man, they say they do it all over again. That's how much they love the game. Yeah. I mean, uh, the guy to me who epitomizes that is uh, Jim Otto, the Raiders Hall of Fame center. Uh, you know, just uh, he's 74 now. He's a physical mess. Uh, he, he's had, uh, no, he's older than that, actually. He's had 74 operations, including 28 on his knee and multiple joint replacements. Uh, uh, he's riddled with arthritis. He's debilitated with his back, his neck. He can barely move around. Uh, uh, he had a near-death experience from an infection in one of these uh, uh, replacement parts they stuck in there. Um, he eventually, you guys may not uh, be aware of this, he had to have his right leg amputated in 2007. Yeah. Despite it all, he says he has no regrets. He wouldn't change a thing. And if he, he'd give up, he said to me, I would give up my other knee to go out there and play one more game. To which I said, Jim, you don't have another knee. He said, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Goose, I, we referenced Farver. I think it was Ron. Um, and he is, you know, played with a litany of injuries that should have 
driven out of the game uh, long before he retired after the 2010 season. But he kept coming back for more and more and more. And my guess is that with some of these guys, they ask themselves, as you mentioned, after football, what is there? And it's a good question, except what there is is another 40 or 50 years of living. Yeah, it's easy for us to say that. You know, we didn't have the fame, the spotlight, the fortune, the celebrity that these guys do. It's addictive, like Ron said. It's intoxicating. It's difficult to walk away, especially when you don't know what's out there. You're 37. You're 38. What do you do now with the rest of your life? Their comfort zone with football, it's no longer there. Now what? No, it's true, and, and you know a lot of it has to do with where they come from. You know, I remember having a conversation with my friend Kevin Turner before he he died at 46 from uh, ALS that uh, was a result of repeated concussions playing football. And I said to him, you know, you must just kick yourself sometimes for having done this. And he said to me, I really don't because if I didn't do this, I just would have been a car salesman in Prattville, Alabama like my dad, and look at all I've done. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of these guys. Hey, Ron, quick question. Did you ever ask Blander why he kept on playing? I think he played until he was 80, 40, yeah. 48. Seems like 88, 48. If you ever met George Blander, you didn't know how gruff he was. You didn't ask him anything. <laughs> so, no, I didn't. You know? <laughs> but I was there the day he got the boot, and he was so pissed. It was unbelievable how oh, mad okay. he was. Hey, thanks, Ronnie. And quick question. Uh, neither of you think it's retired soon, are you? Huh? <laughs> yes, there he goes, we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there good, you go. Good. There because you go. that could affect the long-term health of this show. Anyway, up next is our two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Time to close out this hour, so Robert, blow that whistle. That's the two-minute warning. Yep, it's a two-minute drill. Rick has it again, so Gooseman, let's go. Antonio Brown wants a new team with guaranteed money this offseason. How much money would you be willing to guarantee a 30-year-old wide receiver? Well, it depends, Goose. If it's Jerry Rice, it's Ron's mortgage. If it's AB, it's two slices of pizza. <laughs> I'll guarantee him the minimum and let him make his money on bonuses. Speaking of the Steelers, former linebacker James Harrison lays the blame for the team's lack of chemistry on coach Mike Tomlin. Where do you assign blame? With the team's towels. They're terrible. <laughs> Good one. Like Al Davis say, a fish he rocks from the head. Where is AAF star Trent Richardson playing this fall? His backyard. And I don't mean Alabama. I mean his backyard. <laughs> How about New England? Put a little creative tension on Sony Michelle. Mm, yeah. Should the Hall of Fame waive its five-year waiting period for Belichick and Brady? Absolutely, but only after it makes Julian Edelman a first ballot choice. <laughs> no, it should wave goodbye to the nitwit who had that idea. <laughs> who is the frontrunner now for the Hall of Fame's one contributor nomination for the class of 2020? The man who found Julian Edelman. That'd be you, Goose. <laughs> Good. Good. He's already in. That's right. Should be Bucko Gilroy in a landslide. But probably George Young. He's from New York. Gerald Ramos was a second overall pick of the draft who washed out miserably in the first two stops at the Rams and Lions. What makes the Browns think he can protect Baker Mayfield's blindside? Because they're the Browns. Ego. Every coach thinks they can fix the players who can't be fixed. Players. Terrell Davis, Gina Davis, or Spencer Davis? Uh, I got to beat Ron to the punch on this one. Al Davis. <laughs> you one man. You one off. Mark Davis. He became a millionaire without having a clue. <laughs> the NFL hasn't seen a 400-carry back since 2006. Joe Mixon says he wants to be a 400-carry back for the Bengals. What are his chances? 
they're as good as the Bengals reaching the Super Bowl. He better hope poor. He'll be carrying balls for the Alliance League sooner than he thinks. The NFL is a copycat league. Copycat league. What can be copied from the 2018 Patriots? Photos of Tom Brady. Your local Kinkos will oblige. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Not their spa workout. That's the end of the game. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, thebetalkoffamenetwork.com or themaven.io slash talkoffame, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. Thanks for listening. <laughs>